All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a very special guest, Randy Gage. Randy uh, is a thought-provoking critical thinker who will make you approach, who will make your approach to business and your life in a new whole way. He's the author of 14 books translated into 25 languages, including the New York Times bestsellers, Risky is the New Safe and Mad Genius. Randy rose from a jail cell as a teen to becoming a successful entrepreneur. He has spoken to more than 2 million people across more than 50 countries as a member of the Speaker's Hall of Fame. When Randy isn't prowling the podium or locked in his lonely writer's garret, you'll probably find him playing third base for a softball team somewhere. Randy, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, Toby, great to be on with you. Absolutely. So I love, uh, I love talking to people with, uh, you know, who've overcome you know, a great amount of adversity and have rose you know, to, to a lot of success. And it sounds like your story definitely involved a lot of uh, adversity. So tell me, tell me about kind of what, uh, you know, how things kind of started for you in your life. Well, I think like most people, I think uh, we learn a lot more from our failures and our mistakes and our setbacks than we do our successes. So I happen to fail a lot more than most people in more <laughs> spectacular ways. <laughs> so as you mentioned in the intro, I was actually in jail for armed robbery when I was 15 and burglary. So I was a teenage alcoholic, teenage drug addict. Uh, so obviously I made a lot of really poor choices at that point in my life. Uh, and of course, things like that, having business failures, uh, relationship challenges, all of those things help me learn and grow and modify. Uh, my, my work really for the last 30 years has been about the principles of prosperity. And, but I think you and I would, um, what, what's the opposite of digress? I guess ingress, I don't know. We, our work would really come together in one sense because you're looking at all the the neuroscience stuff from a expertise level let's say where i'm looking at all the neuroscience stuff from the layman's position just as someone like okay why do people do the things they do why do they self-sabotage themselves why do they do things that are so self-destructive? Uh, you know, what causes that? So I've really spent 30 years researching the mind viruses and the limiting beliefs and how we, you know, how we create core foundational beliefs and then how those beliefs impact our lives. Right, right. And it sounds like, I mean, I've had kind of a lot of uh, similar questions that I've approached in terms of more, you know, sort of looking at the, the biological basis of, of behavior and our thoughts and actions, but totally the, 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 the way I see it, I mean, I view myself in sort of translational neuroscience, you know, and translating kind of the, the work of the researchers who've been, you know, studying some specific thing for, for 30 years in their lab, you know, and they, they have books piled up, but, you know, people, 
lay people, you know, may not be able to understand, uh, you know, some of that stuff. So I think that's why it's so important, you know, for, for kind of a fusion of, of both sides. Um, I think it could be tremendously beneficial for, for everyone because, I mean, neuroscience along with just kind of, you know, mindset sort of stuff is so important. Yeah, I was doing a speech in uh, Panama and uh, one of my friends was in the audience and he had his mother with him and she's a psychologist. So she knows he's, it's, his name's Eric. He's my like brother from another mother, best friend, BFF, whatever. And uh, so I've known him a while and his, he's spoken of me frequently to his mother, obviously. And so she's there at this speech I'm doing and she says, why didn't you tell me he was a psychologist? And Eric says, no, mom, he's, he's not a psychologist. She says, oh, yes, he obviously has to be. The things he's saying about why people do the things they do. I mean, only a psychologist would know that. It's like, mom, he's a high school dropout. He has no degrees at all. She's like, that's impossible. That, that can't be. And I get that reaction a lot. But what people I think they don't recognize is when you're an addict, like I was, you become the world's preeminent expert on how to manipulate people, how to run rackets, how to get them to do things for you, right? You, you get, because maybe you're, you need them to lie for you and cover you at work. Maybe you need to hustle them for money to get your next fix, whatever. You, you become such a pathological liar. You will say or do anything to get them to, to support your fix, right? And then, and you know, I've been in the crack houses, the worst crack houses and Overtown and Liberty City and Miami and, and National City and San Diego and you know those <laughs> that's like the Tony Montana stuff you know where you go in there and there's someone laying on the bed and you know underneath it is a is a rifle or a pistol and you become a really good judge of human behavior or you go out of there in a body bag, right? So, you know, I, I have a new book coming out next week and I, I tell that story in the book about Eric's mother. And, you know, I joke that, listen, if, if you have a chance to believe 27 double blind studies conducted by 15 universities with, you know, or my intuition, <laughs> bet the rent on my intuition <laughs> because I have learned why people do the things they do. But totally from a, a you know, a layman's perspective. Well, I mean, it, it reminds me of street smarts. I mean, the, the so-called street smarts, it sounds like that's what you, you were forced to sort of develop at a young age. Um, I guess, despite kind of being at a, at a sort of low point, I mean, you, you did sort of, did those sort of like the, the skills as far as like, you know, I want to say being able to like read people really well, um, you know, I guess manipulate maybe in a business sense might be more, you know, influence, you know, say in a, in a good way, did those sort of like, like, did that, 
I guess what I'm asking, did that, what you, what you maybe learned in your earlier years, did that translate at all to, to your current kind of business career? Absolutely. Yeah, because, and it's like anything, money, guns, drugs, anything can be used for good, can be used for evil, right? So Absolutely. And it's based on your personality. So when I was an addict, I'm using that stuff in evil ways, right? But once you develop prosperity consciousness, character, under integrity, then you realize, okay, I have these gifts which I can use for good instead of for bad. And uh, even just, you know, dealing, selling dope in middle school, right? Taught me entrepreneurial skills, which I still use decades later, right? Fair enough, yeah. Well, so was, uh, when you, like, what was, I guess, the turning point in your life? Was it going to, to prison? Well, I didn't, I was in jail for months and I was really fortunate. There were people who believed in me, a a public defender who believed in me. And uh, when I finally got to court, I got probation and, uh, you know, took advantage of that other, that, that other chance. I was going to say second chance, but it was really more like a 10th chance by, by that point, right? So I took advantage of that 10th chance or whatever it was. And yeah, I mean, that didn't turn my life around forever, but it it turned me around in the sense of, okay, I'm gonna do this the honest way. I'm I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna play by the rules and I'm gonna play that game, the free enterprise game. And I'm gonna do it with integrity because I don't like the retirement plan the other way. I don't like the outcomes the other way. And uh, obviously I had other fits and starts along my, you know, rotations around the sun since then. Um, So we all have, I think, multiple, this new book I mentioned is called Radical Rebirth. And it's about how to kill off the old you if you want to, reinvent yourself and that's what i feel i've done uh my friends like to joke that you know well randy must be on his fourth midlife crisis about now uh and they'll kind of joke like hey do you think you finally got it right this time and i'm i I always answer i hope not i hope i have another four or five midlife crises before i leave this planet or another planet right because I think it's about, you know, I get that there are people who are just content where they are, okay? They keep their head below the cubicle, they clock out on Friday night, they binge on Netflix all weekend with a 12 pack of beer and they don't think about their life of quiet desperation. I can't do that, right? And I don't think people of higher consciousness can do that. So I think we have to challenge ourselves. We have to grow, we have to question premises. And so for me, what the book is about, I think is kind of the culmination of my work for all these 30 years, which is how do I become the highest possible version of myself? 
And that's kind of what I want to guide readers through is, you know, how do you become the highest possible version of yourself? And it sounds like you've really, you've really learned to sort of embrace the challenges that embrace the, the struggles and, and curveballs that life throws at you instead of running away. My question for you is, did that, was that sort of always the case? Did you always have that sort of mindset or, I mean, I assume there, there had to have been some pretty low moments while you're awaiting your court case. I mean, did you ever sort of think like, damn, I, I sort of blew it, my life's over? Or, or have you always sort of had that mindset of, you know, whatever, whatever life throws at me, I can handle it? No, I've had several times where I thought, okay, my life is over. I, I have blown it. You know, I had my chance and I messed it up. And fortunately, I never, um, you know, I was able to turn that around. I actually do, I'm doing a, a prosperity live stream every Saturday now. I started it this, this week, literally for the new year. And I, I opened with the story of being at the Miami Airport Marriott on Christmas Eve, writing uh, my suicide note in a journal. Uh, and, you know, I've ha had those kind of moments in my life. Um, unfortunately, I got professional help. I had a therapist I could call and did and, you know, didn't make that mistake because that would have been a horrific mistake. Right. But I'm, you know, I, I don't want people to think that I say, oh, great. I got a bad diagnosis from the doctor. What a great opportunity this is. Wow, my car was just totaled in an accident. What a delightful turn of events this is. You know, I hate setbacks and challenges and obstacles just as much as anyone else, right? We, we have our, our idea of what we want to do and how we want to do it. And we hate it when the universe has other plans, right? And so I'm no different that way, but I, I've been kicked around enough and got up enough to know that, yeah, you know what? Some of these biggest, I've been shot and left for dead in a robbery. You know, I had a business that was seized by the IRS for on non-payment of taxes. Uh, and I wouldn't change a thing on any of those. You know, those were the greatest lessons that I had in my life because the, you know, they're the wake up call that the universe sends you that says, hey, you know, if you keep doing this pathway, this is where you're going to end up and you're probably not going to like it. And if you don't learn the lesson, the universe is really happy to send it to you again and again until you do learn it. Right. And so I've just kind of said, you know what, I, I think I'd rather just learn the lesson the first time and not have to go through all this drama and trauma another time. Well, there's certainly, I, I feel like there's, you know, like the, the sort of average sort of person that you were, you were describing, um, which is so funny the way you describe it. Cause I've said it the same way to friends, like, of you know, just the person who clocks in, clocks out, drinks beer on the weekends, watches yeah. sports, doesn't, doesn't really care for much more in their life. You know, I feel like that's the, that's the type of person. It's like, we, we all, you know, dislike this sort of, radical changes and, and struggle but it's like I feel like it's those people who, who really really turn away from it they really don't you know choose to 
even take and take on any challenge. Whereas, you know, what you're talking about, you may, I guess you're saying, you know, you may not, you may not necessarily like it, but, but you, it sounds like you at this point have learned how to make, make, uh, uh, lemons into lemonade, I guess you could say. Yeah, I was, uh, I forget, I was doing a radio show the other day, was interviewing me about the book and, and this whole idea of, of rebirthing yourself or reinventing yourself. And, and the realization that I came to talking with that host was the first few times I did that, it was me killing off an old version of me that I hated. Right. Like, so being in jail at 15 years old, I realized, okay, I don't want to be that guy anymore. When my business was seized and, you know, I was sleeping on the floor and it sold all my furniture and eating macaroni and cheese three times a day. Uh, and I don't mean craft the good stuff. I mean the store brand, because that was four boxes for a dollar. Right. Craft was three boxes for a dollar. So at that time, right. So, you know, I was like, I don't want, I hate my, you know, I hate my life. And the reason I hate my life is because I hate myself. And, you know, being in that dreary, depressing hotel room, staring at the dumpsters in the parking lot, thinking I was going to kill myself. You know, I just like, okay, the reason I hate my life is because I hate my, I hate who I am. I hate who I've become. And I realized I didn't have to kill myself. I just had to kill the things I didn't like about myself. You know, I got to there at that state because it was the, you know, the, the, the breakup, I just gone through a breakup and it was like the 11th negative dysfunctional relationship in a row you know, the names changed, the face changed, but it was like the same person kept coming back. And then I realized, no, the, the, the only one constant in all these 11 negative dysfunctional relationships is me. <laughs> so maybe I'm part of the, you know, so, and that was true in all areas of my life, but I really got it because of those repeating negative relationships. And so those first few times, I was killing off an old version of me that I hated. And, but it evolved to where I started to like myself. And then I started to love myself. And that meant I could let other people love me because that had been my problem. I wasn't going to let anybody love me because I didn't think I was worthy of it. And when I got to that point, now I feel like these new reinventions I'm making, these new rebirths I'm making, aren't because I'm running away from a version of me I hate anymore. Now I feel like I'm running toward a higher version of me that I desire. And I think that's where we all want to get to. The conscious people, that, like I said, the people binging out all weekend on Netflix who are just happy, you know, getting by. No, maybe that this doesn't speak to them. But for the rest of us, I feel that's how we manifest a prosperous life is we get to that point where we are 
going toward that higher version of ourselves that we desire. Awesome. Well, tell me, so, so when did you decide, and, and I guess why did you decide to, to sort of start, um, you know, sharing your story and, and, you know, writing books, being sort of a, a, a motivational uh, sort of thought, thought leader, why, why was it important to you to start actually like sharing this, this stuff with other people? Yeah, totally backed into it and no, no conscious. I did know I wanted to be a writer. I was a, a reader as a child. And that's what, that's what ultimately saved me, I believe, was my love for reading, which became a love for learning. And so, although I'm not college educated, I'm very uh, knowledgeable in many, many things, right? Because I'm a, I, I create my own curriculum. Uh, and so I did feel, you know, I love to read and I thought one day I'm going to write a book, you know, I'm going to, and I thought it would be like the great American novel or a, a Robert Ludlum mystery thriller, which I ultimately will still do. Uh, I'm going to write probably a sci-fi trilogy will probably be my next project. Um, but I, I uh, actually was in direct marketing, direct sales, and I had a team and people needed training. And I thought, you know, they, they, don't, they don't advance very rapidly. They don't learn these skills. You know, I'm going to do, a, and, and the first rank in that, that company, you were called a supervisor if you achieved a certain, uh, you know, rank. And so I said, okay, I'm starting a supervisor school and I'm going to do it once a month. And, you know, so I would just be, get a meeting room at a, at a hotel and do this training for my team. And then other people heard about it and asked if they could come. And it's like, yeah, you know, give me five bucks for the donuts and then cover the meeting room and you can come. And then people started flying from New York and flying from California and, then people started asking me, well, if we paid all your expenses and your plane ticket, could you come to Chicago and teach our team there? And so I became a trainer without even thinking about it. And, but I was teaching marketing stuff, direct marketing. And uh, I think my first midlife crisis, I said, uh, okay, I'm gonna retire. I'm just going to race cars and play softball and drink out of a coconut. And I did that because I just said, if I have to do one more seminar on how you get a prospect's phone number, I would rather stick a fork in my eye. So I'm done. And I had this thought at 3 a.m. when I was supposed to leave the next day for a seminar in San Francisco. And I made up my mind by the time I got on the plane, I'm going to sell my company and close it down. And I had a sale arranged in like a week and a half. And that's it. I was done. Uh, and I did that for like nine months and I was going crazy. And a, a dear friend of mine told me, you got to be back on the platform. You need to be a speaker. Um, and I thought, yeah, you know, I could do this and but I could do it on my terms. I don't have to teach this marketing stuff. I could teach the stuff that I'm really get lit up about, which is this prosperity stuff. 
because I had been teaching these marketing seminars and then trying to sneak the mindset stuff in the back door because, you know, nobody was paying me for that. They were paying for me for how do I make at least a hundred thousand dollars a year selling stuff. And, but you know, to me, it's whether it's softball, baseball, hockey, business, sales, marketing, 90% of it is mental. And so I thought, okay, if I'm going to come out of retirement, I'm going to, I'm going to teach the principles of prosperity. And so that's what I did. I just re, remade myself again and uh, came back doing that. And I've been doing it ever since. How, how did it change speaking to the, the marketing audiences versus more of the, I guess, sort of personal growth minded people? Um, did it, was it pretty similar when you made that, that transition or did you find that you needed to approach your presentations any differently? The the craft of professional speaking is the same, regardless of the topic. You originally, I didn't learn any craft. I just thought, okay, this stuff I'm teaching is so good, it doesn't matter. I don't have to do, you know, all those glitzy motivational speakers. They can do that crap. I show people how to make money and I don't care. I can stand up here in blue jeans and tennis shoes and just give them information. And it's so much value to them. And that's what I did. And then uh, I joined the national speakers association and started going to their conventions and you get to see the, the, the world-class presenters. And I thought, wow, you know, I could work on my craft. I could learn how to integrate humor better in the stuff. I could learn to be a better storyteller. I can craft the speech in a way so that, and then you realize, okay, I'm not responsible for the audience, but I'm responsible to them and that I should present my content in the way that would give them the optimal chance of understanding it and applying it. And so I began to study the craft of professional speaking. Um, and again, I, I, I mean, I could, I could do a marketing seminar tomorrow. I could do a seminar on how to buy real estate, or I could do a seminar on Bitcoin or whatever. I, it would still be the same craftsmanship that I would use to do a prosperity uh, speech or training. Okay. And what, uh, tell me like about, about one of these prosperity trainings, like what, what's sort of the, the big thing that you see or, or what's your main goal, I guess, as far as getting the audience to, to understand certain, certain points, certain themes, uh, uh, approaches to life. What, what, what do you hope that people get out of like one of your events? What I hope that they get out of it is that they will recognize that they are trapped in the matrix. And it's not the exact matrix that Neo did in the movie, but they literally are in a matrix, a matrix you will really get this. It's a matrix created by marketers and social media and algorithms 
and you know every because every time they get on their phone every time they buy a product every blog that they click to every podcast they listen to every whatsapp message they send zuckerberg is reading their allegedly encrypted messages right to know what is the next ad we need to put on their youtube pre-roll and what is the next banner that needs to be when they log into Facebook or YouTube or whatever, and Google and Amazon and Apple and all of these companies have contributed to creating a matrix. They don't own it, they didn't design it, they didn't mean to create it, but the truth is, um, you know, uh, Instacart could know when the, their women customers are pregnant before they do based on their food purchases that you know amazon can know your sexuality before you do if you're a closeted homosexual bisexual non-binary they'll know that before you do right because of the matrix because they have every click you've ever done and big data has just so it's created this matrix right so what I want people to understand is they're living in a matrix and they have been brainwashed in all the important areas of their life. And in this new book, I broke it down into six areas, right? Money, success, uh, marriage, relationships, sex, sexuality, health and wellness, uh, career and work, uh, and whatever, it's, uh, say one more, but it's like six main areas that I say, you have core foundational beliefs and those core foundational beliefs were cemented in your mind before you were 10 years old. Well, God and religion is the other category, right? So if you went to uh, catch a kid's cataclysm or whatever, and the nurses were smacking your knuckles and telling with a ruler and telling you you were born a sorry sinner and you need to repent if you want to get rewarded and you know go to heaven when you die. Your core belief about God and religion was probably set before you were six years old. If you're parents were arguing and fighting and one cheated on the other, one is abusive to the other. Your core foundational belief about marriage and relationships before you were eight years old, sex and sexuality, you were programmed with more bad shit, crazy ideas about sex before you even reached puberty, right? So, and money, I mean, how much, you know, how, do you know how old you were before you were programmed that money is bad, rich people are evil, it's noble or spiritual to be poor, to be successful in work, you've got to be a bad parent, to be a successful company, you have to pillage the environment and exploit uh, workers and lie to the shareholders and this is all of the mind viruses that you've been programmed with before you were 10. So of course you're sabotaging yourself. Of course you're blowing up your health. Of course you're blowing up your relationships because you don't even know you're brainwashed, right? So what my work has been about for 30 years now is, is 
recognizing the, the core programming that you've been in, the mind viruses, the memes, and not memes as in a slide on Instagram, but memes as in uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins, you know, mind viruses that you have been infected with, mind viruses that parasitize the host and cause you to replicate the virus. Um, and so you have all these viruses, money is bad, rich people are evil, it's spiritual to be poor. And so on the conscious level, you say, well, I want to be wealthy, I want to be happy, I want to be successful. But at the subconscious level, you have the programming that rich people are evil and you don't want to be an evil person. So you better sabotage yourself so you don't become an evil person. And you know, with all the neural work that you do, that if you've got a you know, conflict between the, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, we know who's going to win that battle, right? 100%, yeah. Yeah, so that's really, that's what I want people to understand is that, hey, you can take control over that. You can, you can, you can do a deep dive into your beliefs and find out the limiting beliefs you have. You can blow them up and you can replace them with empowering beliefs. How many people would you say, because I, I feel like there's a distinction between you know, sort of having, having a, a, maybe an awareness of, you know, what your beliefs are. Um, maybe the next step being, you know, gaining the ability to actually start changing them. But when, when people like start, you know, see, you know, have one of your events, like how many people do you feel like have that mindset that your beliefs actually are changeable, that, that you're not, you, you're not stuck the way you are today. That's not necessarily who you're going to be in the future. As, as we've sort of talked about, you can sort of blow up the old you and, and you know, create an, uh, a, a new version of yourself. Like, is that, is that a struggle to, to try to impart that uh, information to most people? Or, or do you find that most people get it pretty easily? Um, it would be a struggle to try and impart that to most people, but that's not a struggle that I choose to do. Right. So uh, I've built my practice in a, a mindful way. Right. So I do a podcast like you. Mine is called the Power Prosperity Podcast. I don't take ads for it. I don't have sponsors for it. I just put it out there for free. I have a blog at randygage.com. I've written more than 10,000 blog posts. Again, no membership. It's all free. I just put it out there. Um, so I put out this content and people see it and they share it. And the people who are open to it, they resonate with it. And then they get on my email list or they subscribe to my podcast or they get on the RSS feed of my blog. Now I hope they'll join me every Saturday for these lessons. I'm doing them on Zoom. And basically, so what I've done is I've created a prosperity ministry, but it's not a church. I'm calling it the unchurch, right? It's a for-profit spiritual ministry. And I just said, I can't keep doing all these blogs, all these podcasts, all these things for free, you know? So I'm going to just once a week, I'm going to do this 
prosperity service, like a celebration service, um, on a love offering basis. Whatever people want to pay, they pay. And if they say, I don't have any money, I can't afford to send a dollar, I don't care. Watch it. I'm just putting it out there. And the people who can afford it and the people who want to support my work, support it. And they will circulate the prosperity saying, you know, some people, they don't believe in God or religion and they tithe to me because they see me as the source of their spiritual nourishment, right? Other people, they have a church or temple or mosque or synagogue they tie to, but they support my work by saying, okay, I'm gonna send a hundred bucks every month to support your work. And cause I know there's people who need it and they can't afford to pay anything. And I want you to be able to keep getting your message out there. And I love to be here every week and learn what you're teaching, right? Um, so I don't try to proselytize. I don't try to convert the people. You know, one of the things people have to recognize is that you can't be treated for prosperity. There's no medicine. There's no operation. There's no treatment that will make you prosperous. You have to be open to receive it. Right? So that's really the underlying philosophy of all my work is for the people who are open to receive it and the people, you know, and to me, I think it's, I think it's science, right? I believe it's, it's physics, right? I believe that there's prosperity everywhere in the, in the universe that it's in the ethers around us. This is what Reverend Charles Fillmore taught back when he founded the Unity Church, that we're surrounded in the ethers by prosperity and the way we manifest them is through ideas. And so I look at that and say, okay, what's the practical application of that? How does somebody manifest prosperity? And I believe there's two ways. We solve problems or we add value. So when we, you know, if you will solve a problem for somebody, they will gladly pay you to solve that problem. You can add value. If you can show them, whether it's General Motors, Pizza Hut, Pepsi, Canada Dry, um, a political campaign, a nonprofit, if you can show them how they can do their process quicker, cheaper, more efficiently, you know, if you can add value to that equation, again, they're going to throw money at you. And so that's how I believe we, you know, we come up with ideas for solving problems and adding value. And that's how we manifest prosperity. And so that's the, the, the kind of principles that I'm teaching. And the people who are open to it, they adore it. And the people who are not open to it, they're like, well, he's, uh, that's all woo woo crazy stuff. He must be singing Kumbaya and burning incense and, you know, meditating in an ashram in India, you know, whatever. Uh, but to me, I think it's, it's very, I think it's physics, you know, that we, that, that my business is called the prosperity factory. Cause I believe we, we can create, it's like a factory. We can create a conveyor belt and manufacture prosperity. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if, if like there's nothing that can be physically created without it first starting as a thought. 
Exactly. So if it all starts with our thinking, I mean, you can't, you can't really, what's the argument against that? I mean, exactly. to me, to me Every, it is science. Yeah, absolutely. Every accomplishment was created twice. First in the mind of a visionary or dreamer. And only secondly, do we manifest it on the physical level? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, Randy, we're, we're coming up on the end of the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. Tell me like what, where do you see, where do you see your work going? Do you feel like the, the need is to, uh, or, or your desire is to kind of just spread the word to, to more and more people? Or do you feel like you'll transition in terms of what, uh, what your future books or podcasts will be about. Um, where, where do you kind of see yourself going with this? Yeah, I, I do. I'm a, a writer at my core, so I just want to keep writing books. I want to write at least one book a year for as long as I'm left on this planet. Um, and then I'm going to try to channel all my other work through this, you know, Saturday ministry, if you will, um, where and then I will just, my podcast will be the audio uh, replay of the Saturday program each week. And my YouTube channel, I'll put up a video replay of the uh, Saturday uh, lesson each week. And that, and I'm going to just put it out there in the universe and see, like I told you, I just started it. Last week was the first one. Um, and if the universe supports it, then I'll continue doing it that way. Um, and it's my hope. I've already got contacted by people in Mexico and Colombia who want to translate it and uh, do it in Spanish down in their countries and a guy in Moscow who wants to do it in Russian. And I'm hoping that that spreads all over the world, that people will just uh, take up those lessons each week. And, you know, that's what prosperity is about. It's circulating it because that's how we really uh, you know, enjoy it, celebrate it. Well said. Well, Randy, um, if people want to find out more about your work, your, your podcast, your books, where, uh, where would you direct them to? Okay. Everything, my kind of Starfleet command site is randygage.com and you could find pretty much everything there. Uh, best place to connect with me is Twitter. That's really where I engage people. Um, and the new book is called Radical Rebirth, and it's actually coming out January 12th, 2021. Uh, so Amazon, or if you're in other countries and there's not Amazon there, you can go to randygage.com forward slash radical rebirth and for the international, or if you want a personally inscribed one. Awesome. Well, for those uh, listeners who did enjoy the show today, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. And you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, just about anywhere else audio podcasts are available. You can find us. Randy, again, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, thanks, Toby. It's been great being on. Peace, everybody. Awesome.